This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Should you take risks in business? It probably depends on your definition of risk. My guest this week is labeled as risky by many ag lenders. In fact, financing is one of his challenges. But is he really that risky or just successful in an unconventional way compared to other farmers? We learn the keys to becoming a successful, risky farmer. It's our topic for this week's Farm in the Countryside. It's brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest and most important expenses I have as a corn producer is nitrogen. That's why I was interested in Pivot Bio and have been a customer now for four years. Pivot Bio Proven OS provides a more reliable method for delivering nitrogen to corn. One Pro Box of Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS has the equivalent on-seed nitrogen to replace as much as 1,200 gallons of anhydrous, 1,700 gallons of UAN 28%, or 5 tons of urea. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on-seed isn't lost to leaching, denitrification, or volatilization. Side-by-side comparisons show Pivot Bio plants have 14% more implant nitrogen and 12% more biomass compared to untreated plants demonstrating the nitrogen efficiency of Pivot Bio products. To learn more, just talk to your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. Quint Pontager is, in many ways, just like other farmers. He grows crops, markets them, has farm employees, and enjoys life on the land. However, he's far different from other farmers as well, and that makes him a risk in some people's eyes. Not because he does outlandish things and throws caution to the wind, because he doesn't, but rather he looks at opportunities that others don't perhaps see. For Quint, the opportunities he's pursued have helped him build a successful and growing operation. No matter what you do, some of the ideas this farmer has can help all of us. Quint Pottinger is my guest, Affinity Farms, New Haven, Kentucky. Quint, I appreciate the chance to get to visit with you. I'm really looking forward to this. And I've had the chance to visit with you a little bit in the past, but not in this show. Why don't you, first of all, open up by just telling folks a little bit about where you farm and what you farm? Because your farm dates way back <laughs> compared to the, the even the history of this nation. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my many greats ago grandfather, uh, when he came over into Maryland, joined the um, the American Revolution and helped fight for American independence. And he eventually worked his way up to be a captain in the military and served under General Herod. And they made it through Kentucky. And when they got into Kentucky, General Herod said, okay, he's going to set up south of Lexington. Uh, he wanted my, my great-great-grandfather to go, to go west and, and establish um, a fort down near Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, to help fend fend off any attackers there. And he fell in love with the area. He said it was rich with water and it was rich with the hills um, for cattle and wildlife. And after the war was over, uh, George Washington gave every captain in the military an eight square mile land grant. And so my grandfather or great grandmother, he knew exactly where he wanted to go. So he came out here to uh, what is what he called Pottinger's Landing in 1788, and he built a mansion to bring families in from the East Coast. And um, 
his son, Sam Jr., decided he wanted to go to law school. So he went off to law school. When he came back from school, he renamed Pottinger Landing after where he attended law school, which is how we got uh, New Haven, Kentucky. Um, so that's where New Haven got its name. And we've been farming in this area since then. Uh, my family has always been uh, on the capital market side. They believe in the capital market. They believe in the capital system. And so the family, because of that, the farm was never passed down or no enterprise that was started through the farm, whether it was a distillery, a rock quarry, a lumber company, a shipping company, all those things that were, were created through the 1800s were never passed down. If you wanted to be a part of it, you would work and buy into it. And there was no different with me. However, um, when my grandmother called me, uh, she said, uh, Quint, you're the last pottinger that's in the area. Most everyone else has moved out. Uh, your dad has got his own farm. Uh, would you like to uh, ha have the last 80 acres to keep in the family? If not, I'm going to sell it to someone else. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I always thought I wanted to come back and farm, but I didn't know what the pathway was at the time. So I got out of my last uh, final, my statistics final, which is ironic. Um, I went and picked up an engagement ring to um, ask the girl that I've been dating for two months if uh, she would marry me. Um, and then I came home to meet with my grandmother and she sat me down and she put a piece of paper in front of me and said, this is what the farmer prays for. You write me a check when you're ready. And I thought, holy crap, I have mounds of student loan debt. My soon to be wife has mounds of student loan debt and there's no bank that's going to be dumb enough to give me the money uh, to buy this farm, which was over appraised value is what she wanted for it. <laughs> so, um, and that's the story about how my family started in and, and how I started farming. And it created this need uh, to create a market um, to be able to cash flow. Well, so you have all of that face in you. So how then did you begin farming? Did you find somebody willing to back you or did you have to find this niche enterprise? How did it begin? Um, being young and dumb um, and naive was a great was really because I had this idea that I could just go to a bank and they'd give me money to, to start farming. After I've worked out the deal to be able to purchase the farm, which was a, a whole deal in, in itself. So I had this grand idea that we were going to grow uh, tomatoes for Italian restaurants in Louisville, Kentucky, which is 50 miles north of here. And we did. We, we decided we were going to purchase the equipment. And because uh, this farm is 80 acres, is about 30 of it's only tillable and I leased, I was leasing 50 acres to row crop and row cropping is what I've known. And so I was going to get in tomatoes. How hard could it be? Right. So we had like, well, let's do five acres of tomatoes. We'll start small. That was again, naive. Well, we ended up getting the, the plants in and my wife, who's not from the farm, has no farming background at all. Um, on a Sunday, it finally cleared up enough to, to, put the tomatoes in the ground and it also cleared up enough to go plant. And I told my wife, it's like, I've got to plant. I've got to get this 50 acres of corn in the ground while the weather's nice. Can you put these tomatoes in the ground? And that's how we started. And we realized we were way in over our heads, but I learned a lot interacting with um, those restaurants and we, we were able to get our money back. It wasn't a profitable enterprise by any means. Um, we discovered a lot about one another too, what our boundaries were and how far we could push ourselves. Um, and from then we realized there's an opportunity here to capture, um, a marketplace or to be, to participate in a market to get more money for the grain so we could help cash flow the farm. And it wasn't burden. I was in Walmart and I, and I was looking at a bag of deer corn, a 40 pound bag of deer corn that was $10 a bag. And I'm thinking I'm doing the math and track. I'm like, okay, that's like 1250 a bushel and I'm getting three. What the heck? 
you know? And so we decided, uh, and I pitched this idea to a farm mentor of mine and he's still, he, he's still a farm mentor to me. I, I lean on him quite a bit, but he told me I was crazy. I was like, I'm going to get a bagging machine and I'm going to get uh, some certified scales. It's about $6,000 investment. And I'm going to start bagging corn for deer hunters. And he said, you can, that'll never work. You can't scale that. And it took me about four years to get that, that actually enough money, extra funds scraped up to be able to, to put that in. We, uh, because of that, got into that marketplace. We had the corn had to be very clean so it wouldn't clog the, the deer feeders up. And we had a micro distiller come in. He said, Your, my brother works at an outfitter. He says, you all have cleaner grain than the grain I'm getting at the local mill. I just want to check it out. So it comes, he rips open a bag, and I've got 40 pallets with 40 bags of pallet in the shop. And this is all pulling a handle, hand sewing the bag, weighing each one. Put, I mean, it, it's like a three, four days worth of work that I've got stacked up. He looks at it and said, I'll take all of it today. Can you get 40 more for me in two days? And I was like, what? And that's how we got into to selling corn for whiskey. It was into the niche market. So going forward then, has your view always been, if I don't have that much acreage, but yet I want to make this profitable, I'm going to look at niche markets. And I believe that's kind of your overall view as well, is, is that we as farmers have to begin to think about more niche type things going forward. Is that correct? I, I, I do. And, and Affinity Farms, it, it, we chose that name because we wanted we wanted people that were we were our consumers that we were interacting with to love farming, not our farm, to love farming and what American agriculture is as much as we love to farm. And that's where we got this name, Affinity Farms. And, we, and we've worked that into our vision and our mission. Even now that we've got employees on the farm, we try to figure out a way, how can the farm serve to benefit you? Uh, how can it make your life easier? How can it make your life better? How can it elevate you? Um, and we've taken that approach with, from the service standpoint with all of our uh, distillers. We, and we've grown from 50 acres in 2012, um, and we're farming 3,600 acres today. And so we scaled very, very quickly. We had to build bins very quickly, which is a capital expense. We've had to get equipment, which is a huge capital expense that was modern enough that I could go to a landlord and he would trust me that, it, you know, my equipment wasn't going to rust out on his property because optics, for whatever reason, is a whole thing. And so because of that, we've had to figure out a way to get more money for our product. But we've always struggled with capital to put the crop out. And I always thought if I get big enough, then I can get enough grain out and I can show and reflect profitability that it'll be easier to work with the lenders. And what I found out is the opposite is true because there are very few regional banks that have enough liquidity to be able to cash for help a farm operate. Every regional bank that I've talked to says your financials, you're risky, you're young. Um, you're moving in a good direction, but I don't think we, even if you can get to the metrics that we're comfortable with, you require too much, too many funds to operate. It takes, it's too much competition for funds in the marketplace right now. And the banks are too small. So we have to go with these larger ag centered banks. And we had, we found one we, we really, really liked and they were backed by Western Alliance and Western Alliance almost went belly up in December and they went out of business. And so we were left scrambling even this year to find funds. And here I am 11, putting my 11th crop out. It's supposed to get easier, but it's not. What do you do then? Because you, you, we think about ag lending, and of course, many young farmers, they're trying to get established, and maybe they're doing what we'll call conventional type of farming, so maybe they can get that loan. But you're doing some things that are very unconventional. 
So how did you begin to convince anybody, let alone of size, to take you on? So I mentioned I have a farm mentor, um, but I also have uh, three business mentors. And I got into a business mentoring group that aren't connected to ag in any way. So I'm able to bounce ideas off of them. And uh, in 2018, we had the, a unique opportunity to uh, host a movie crew on our farm that filmed the movie Silo. And because we, we were able to meet a lot of really cool, really interesting people, completely disconnected from agriculture, but very connected in what consumers want and what they need. And we told them our vision for what the farm is and how we want to rebuild rural America without the government having to uh, fund it. Um, it could actually be business funded and capital funded, which is what my family's basically based um, their time here in, in Kentucky on. And they, I, I had a really good conversation with the guy and he said, look, Quint, you will never generate enough capital in your lifetime with your business currently because the lending structure is working against you to do what you want to do. And from that point, we, we filed with the Security Exchange Commission. We shopped around four different fund managers, um, capital managers to help raise funds. We, land, we, we met a guy um, who sits on our farm board now and who said, I think I can raise money for you. We're really comfortable with him. Um, younger guy has been very successful and he serves as a business mentor to me uh, to this day. And we made a deal and we ended up, we said, okay, this is what the farm is valued at. This is what we built it up to in 2018. And we decided we were going to share, sell off 20% uh, of our shares to private stakeholders, private investors. And uh, to the to date, we've raised about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. All of that cash has gone to fund a grain cleaner, uh, has gone to fund uh, packaging materials, grain bins that allow us and the capital to allow us to hold this grain year round, so that we can be a source to the distilleries, uh, a consistent source to the distilleries to sell grain to. And that's just one piece: being able to create a source of a pool of capital that you can go out and get, create this arm, this investment arm to the farm that can help go out and do some of the projects we want to do that complement the production side. Talk about that for a second. Would it have been possible for you to do what you're doing today if you had not, in a sense, sold some of that farm to investors? And then on that topic, how has that then influenced the direction of the farm? Because you do have these off-farm investors. It's impossible. I'm, I'm actually quite certain that we I wouldn't be farming today had we not pursued that. And, and the reason I say that is because when lenders are having a hard time understanding your debt structure, they hold so much of your ability, your freedom to operate in their hands. And when you're constantly searching for funds year round to be able to put a crop out, that doesn't complement the crop side well. And we would never have been able to access the distiller's market, which, which builds this premium um, this profitability side into the farm that allows us to pay off this what I call startup debt to start farming. It would have taken too long. I'm not saying we would have been we wouldn't have been profitable and that we would have gone under. I'm saying I don't know that my I would have had the mental capacity to do it because now that I have a, a board um, that can that looks at the farm, we have um, a really good company, Pinion, that does our we do monthly financials, and I have a call every month with with our capital group to dress the direction of the farm. And it's, it's put a piece of mind in my head. Cause I know when, when Western Alliance had trouble and our operating lender went kaput, 
I, I didn't panic. I was like, okay, well, we'll call the investment group. Like, hey, this is what's going on. We'll get some temporary funds for a bridge until we can get something else put up in place. And then when it's put in place, we'll pay it back and we'll move forward. It just, it creates this ability to, to operate. And so we can focus on the growth side and the things that we have coming in the pipeline would never be possible. Do you think that more farms, especially young farmers, should be thinking about this route? Because the route you've taken is certainly different from a lot of others. And people might say, I don't want that. I don't want outside folks dealing with this because they're outsiders. They don't know farming, but you've done it. It's it's complicated so much more because ag lenders now, they're really leery to do links. They don't understand our structure. Uh, I don't qualify for any USDA loans anymore, so I can't use USDA for anything. Uh, because our board doesn't want to put, because each USDA says you have to have every board member has to be able to sign off. Well, these are private investors or silent investors. They're, they're just investing into a company. They're not investing their livelihood into it. Um, and USDA requires that for, for their loans. There's one section we found it. Um, so that takes us out of that side, but it gives us the access to capital. And I will tell any young person that wants to go down this route, this was more than just a way to, to grow a business. This was to execute a vision. And we, we actually built a succession plan on accident through this. So we don't have to worry about a succession plan because I own so much of the farm. My dad, who, who we merged our farms in 2018, right before we did this, he owns so much of the farm. And if anybody wants to buy, to have any ownership in the farm, they have to buy into it. There's no passing down shares. You have to find a way to buy into it. Um, so, and we've created that succession plan. There's, it's very black and white. It's in our operating agreement. And it has also created this, op, this ability to work with a bank who says, I don't know. I don't understand your structure. Well, we've taken the risk for the lender out. Look, guys, we've got a group of people that are standing behind us, that are willing to stand behind us and help us execute this vision that allow us to, to develop markets. I mean, we're creating markets in this place. We're not going out and finding them. Talk about the the process of creating markets, because it sounds like you've been doing that from the very beginning. Was that something you just wanted to do? Maybe you had to do it out of necessity. I, I, it was out of necessity, but I enjoy it. I enjoy creating markets. And we're actually at a point now where the distilleries that we have got into, have, have they have scaled up so fast that I have, I'm not doing any market development like I enjoy because they're soaking up so much of our product. So we're, we're 110% sold in corn and wheat. And we've started growing rye, which is used to be native to Kentucky. And so we're 110% sold on rye. And we've actually, because we're, we've gone non-GMO, have created a direct-to-user market for soybeans. My wife and I went over to Taiwan in March and identified that we talked with you. Secretary said, yeah, this just you're too small. We can't get a ship. I was like, okay, but what if we sold it to you in a bag? He's like, actually, there are a few crushers that actually, they're small enough, they would they would like to take it in a bag, but they can't access it. And so we actually may have, have carried a price point to ship bagged soybeans through a container to places in Taiwan, um, all because we've created the ability here with the granary to be able to package. So all of our pricing is open. We set everything on the Chicago Board of Trade to, to for any commodity. And then we say, we ask the distiller, okay, set what service do you want? Do you want me to manage your inventory for you? This is the cost for, per, per pound. By the way, we don't do it by bushel. We do it by pound. Do you want it in a bag? Here's the price to do that. Do you want it in a tote? This is the price to do that. Do you want weekly deliveries? This is the price to do that. And they can pick and choose. Um, and that's how we built our pricing sheet. And we've had, because we're open, we know that we've had competitors have come in. They've undercut us. 
and they've taken our business away, but they can't provide the service because we've created the structure around that specifically, and they've got other service sectors they can't fill, and so they come back. Um, and that's how we've been able to differentiate ourselves. What advice would you give to someone then if they're wanting to go down this road as any any type of niche that they're looking at in agriculture? Have you intentionally gone outside of agriculture then to get advice? Is that one of the yes. big pieces of advice you would give? Yes, yes, absolutely. You need to find find someone who has started a business that's older, that's been very successful, that has dealt with the consumer. Because the best piece of advice that I got when I was before I started bagging corn was from one of my business mentors who who sold his business for like a couple of billion dollars. He told me, he said, Quint, you're in a niche, but that doesn't mean you you can't scale and you need to scale. You have to protect your retailers. So if you're going to bag corn, you need to stick with your wholesalers. And when people want to buy from you directly, you have to say no, even though the price is better. You can't undercut your, your your retailers. That was the best piece of advice I got. And because of that, we've been able to work with these outfitters on the bag corn for deer corn uh, very efficiently because they know I'm not going to undercut them. They know that the only place to get Affinity Farms corn is at the gun club or is at the local hardware store. They can't come here and get it. And we've had people get mad at us because of that, but it was good advice. So yes, piece of advice, go find Find somebody, it doesn't it don't have to be in your hometown, find somebody that you admire uh, and ask them if they'd be willing to serve as a mentor and work with them. Talk with them every week if you have to. And open your books. Don't be scared to open your books. Have organized financials. Open your books and say, okay, what do I need to do to improve? What area do I need to improve in? And build storage. <laughs> and put the money in storage. <laughs> Talk about then your leadership team, if if you will. Who all do you involve to help make some of these decisions and keep forward thinking, and not only for the present but for the future? So I've got um, I keep my circle pretty tight. So we've got our our board, which consists of um, my dad and I, uh, and then the the capital firm that we have. The, the guy who owns that he sits on our board. And so when we have those monthly calls, sometimes we have weekly calls, depending on what projects we're going to be developing. Um, and then I've got a, a close group of friends uh, that I trust that I run things by everything. And I've incorporated my employees and even my intern into this circle. And one uh, one thing that we've started doing is I tell my guys, what do what do I need to do? What is wrong with what I'm doing this week? that's made your job more difficult and how can we improve that before they can get paid? They have to submit that and I'll get three ideas from each employee. And so I have my employees will tell me, say, Quint, we're unorganized. We're not communicating. It'd be great to have a team meeting. It'd be great to do this. It'd be great to do that. And it's created an opportunity or, or the, it's a, we're messy. Okay, great. You're right. This place has got, gotten a little messy. Let's create a plan to do that. Can you organize that for me? And they love it. They, they latch on to it. And now I'm finding that there are things that I was doing every day that has taken up a lot of my time that hasn't allowed me to focus on the books, that hasn't allowed me to focus on the market development, that hasn't allowed me to focus on the, the travel and connecting I need to do, that I have more time to do because my employees feel motivated to come into work and do and empowered to do the things that they have suggested. Okay, yeah, he's going to take this suggestion. Let's do that. They have been willing to share with their boss the things that the boss does that they don't like. Then. That they don't like, yeah. And it's very safe and it's very open. Uh, at least I hope it is. And um, I've had employees pull me aside and tell me that. Now, it's a two-way street. And 
it's it's helped my mental stress so much because I don't feel so isolated anymore, even if they tell me I'm not doing a good job. Quint, there's so much more that we could visit about. We're going to have to schedule a time just to talk about the employee side because you've got some <laughs> great ideas there. Hey, before we wind up, tell people how they can find you and Affinity Farms uh, out there on the web or any other place. Yeah, so um, on Twitter, that's where I'm most active. It's Affinity um, underscore Farms underscore KY. And then uh, on Twitter or on Instagram, it's Affinity underscore Farms. Uh, on Instagram. And then um, you can find me at Quint Pottinger on Facebook. I usually just post about the farm. I don't really have time for a lot of the nonsense on there because uh, I get enough of that already in my daily life. So. Quint, I appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farm in the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just type in Farm in the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well at farmingthecountryside.com, many local radio stations, or your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, just use those platforms to go back and catch other topics of interest as well. We try to have a variety of guests who provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry and rural America. If you have a suggestion for a guest, please just get in touch. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.